When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. They say football is a game of inches. This Ravens season has certainly had games decided by inches. Justin Tucker with the game-winning NFL record field goal against the Lions, bouncing off the crossbar. Odafe Owe forcing a fumble against the Chiefs and then recovering it late to steal that win. Three overtime games. That's all been this season. But certainly this one did not go the Ravens' way by just an inch or two. I'm Antonio Barbero. And this week, I try to talk my co-hosts off the ledge after a gruesome loss to the Pittsburgh Steelers. Coming up on Pot Like a Raven. We gotta talk about it, guys. We might not want to. It might be painful. But we have to express our thoughts. It's just one game. It's it's just one season. It's just 1,800 injuries. It'll be okay. As I mentioned in the open there, I am Antonio Barbera. And I'm on a, I think I'm going to have to work the hardest on this episode to just help my two co-hosts as we process whatever happened on Sunday against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Let me, let me bring these guys in. First of all, on the West Coast, Jace Evans. Jace, there were some tweets from you uh, on Sunday, some thoughts, some emotions. How are you feeling as we record on Monday uh, about this uh, past past weekend of, of NFL football? I'm definitely feeling better, Antonio. It, I, I love that we wait a day to record these. I think it helps me get my thoughts in some sort of order, maybe perhaps not quite fully off the handle. Um, that being said, you know, astute listeners of Pod Like a Raven will probably note that... Um, I've been making jokes or references to the fact that the Ravens were going to lose this game in Pittsburgh all season since the schedule came out. It's just what they do. We split with this team. Um, But, you know, in classic 2021 uh, Ravens fashion, they managed not only to lose, but to make it as painful as humanly possible. So even though I was, you know, I was ready for it. I was rebracing myself. I said all week going into it, I'm like, they're going to lose this game. They're going to lose this game. They're going to lose this game. Uh, they somehow had a chance to win at the very end, despite having probably no, uh, probably shouldn't have been in that position based on some of the things we'll talk about, uh, that they did throughout the game. Um, but to get so close and then fall short just made it, you know, even more painful. Another close, brutal loss to the Steelers. Uh, it stinks. I'm actually getting more mad just talking about it now, but, uh, on the whole, certainly doing better, uh, than I was at this time, uh, yesterday. Yeah, we're going to be attacking the the macro of this game and the micro uh, of this game based on so many things that happened. On the East Coast, Tim Horsey. Tim, we we 
started a few minutes late here because we had to have some uh, some pre-recording words. Just we had to get them out of the way, flush them out. How you feeling now as we record Monday evening? Horrible. Um, yeah, I, I I don't know. I'm a little offended that you asked how I'm feeling. I, I unlike Jace, have not dealt with my emotions properly, and. Um, I have I've come to the conclusion that the Ravens season is over, that this regime will never win another Super Bowl and that our quarterback might be a fraud. So, you know, I'm handling things okay, Uh, all things considered, I guess. And for the record, the fact that I'm unhinged right now, I'm also a little offended by Jay. I'm just mad at everybody already that he's not unhinged with me. Maybe we should start doing podcasts right after because... Jace was turned up to about 15 on Twitter, and I needed that Jace energy. And because he is a rational human with, you know, his emotions in check and his mental well-being is okay from what we all understand, he's been able to settle himself. I, in fact, have not, and, um, you know, we don't, we don't have to hide this. All the words were me before the start of the show. I had to get everything out because, frankly, I edit this podcast, and it's Monday night, and I don't feel like spending more time on this than I have to. I'd like to just get back to playing PlayStation and forgetting that I cheer for this sad sack of a football team. But here we are. We have to talk about it. I guess we just have to face the music. So let's just, you know, let's get this over with. Tim, if we had recorded Sunday night, would that have been better, worse, or the same for you? Oh, so much worse. Okay, um, so that's so, no, in, in a way then, it's good then. It's good that we had maybe, a Maybe, to... I will say, maybe slightly better, only because there were a couple people here, and I don't want to offend anybody um, with the vitriolic language that I have, but no, no, still definitely worse. Still absolutely worse. All right, officially, uh, for the record, Ravens losing in Pittsburgh 20-19. to 19. There it is. In case you haven't seen the score uh, yet of this game. And we go back and forth on this show, whether we do, let's review the offense, let's review defensive players, or if we do half by half. And I I think this game lends itself to a first half, second half analysis for for a couple of reasons. So, here we go. Just ripping the bandaid off. Let's start with the first half, guys. After an un... uh, just a beautiful first drive, we talked, Tim and I... We talked about this in our episode last week. Wouldn't it be nice if the Ravens could come out with the first possession touchdown drive and they're moving it? They're, they haven't done They did it one time all season. And they're moving it. 11 plays, 65 yards, and then Lamar Jackson with yet another terrible, awful, horrendous, no good, very bad, trying too hard interception off his back foot, throwing to the end zone with both, uh, with Watt in his face. And this is another issue that we talked about last week where he had that type of throw against the Browns. That same throw, almost the same down and distance. And by a miracle, had it completed where Andrews were able, was able to run to the you know goal line, basically, and catch it just inside the end zone. Didn't happen this week because uh, it doesn't happen when you play the Steelers. And it was immediately intercepted. And I... I mean, it's one play, it was the first drive of the game, but I think for you two, that had already set a very important tone of this is going to be a problem, this is an issue, Lamar does not look good, it's another slow start, and it's another terrible interception by him. I think coming off um, the Sunday night game, which, you know, you all witnessed the four picks in person, 
to just have that immediately off the game uh, to start the game. Because, you know, a four-pick game is obviously awful. But I feel like you could excuse a few, like, things happen sometimes. Sometimes your quarterback throws four interceptions. But to just respond from that game and make basically the same exact mistakes it seemed like he was making in that game, you know, forcing throws over the middle uh, to Mark Andrews, it was just so discouraging and just represent, like, emblematic of such terrible decision-making. And I, the thing that concerns me even more is he, like, he, he said, Lamar said that he saw Minka Fitzpatrick there, which is, emblem like, just is so concerning because it means he has a greater belief in his abilities than, like, what he could do, I guess. And I think you said it so perfectly, Antonio, because it worked against the Cleveland Browns because it is the Cleveland Browns. And it will never work against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Minka Fitzpatrick's been an all-pro in this league. He just was like, yeah, what if I just defend the guy instead of let him run to the front of the end zone? And so it's picked off, and it was just such a poor tone setter for the game. And, you know, it, it just, it just I think, encapsulates all the problems we've had with Lamar the last month, I feel like we're going to talk about him for an hour and a half here. So I'll try to make at least this initial pick uh, brief uh, on, on this topic. But yeah, it was just such a bad way to start. And I think just pretty much highlighted everything he's been doing wrong lately. And, uh, you know, in a game you lose 20 to 19 because, and we'll get to it, you go for two at the end. What if you just had three points and already were in the lead? Uh you know, or took the lead when you scored that final touchdown. Every point's so important when you play the Steelers, and he just threw he threw three points away minimum on that play. Yeah, um, look, because we're breaking it down by half, um, I worry that we're going to miss out on some of some of the bigger points in this game. Eight pre-snap penalties by the offense. Pre-snap, twenty pressures from T.J. Watt and Alex Highsmith alone. 12 by TJ Watt himself. You know, I'm not one to sit here and root for COVID, but if he got it a couple days later and was out, that would have been pretty sweet for this team. Uh, the fact that he was reinstated and, you know, thank God he tested negative and everything and it seemed like he had been vaccinated. That's all great for the well-being standpoint, obviously. I'm not trying to make light of the situation. But TJ Watt made a massive difference in this game. And um, part of it is because the offensive line is so, so horrifically bad. And it looks like Patrick McCarry is going to be out for a while now as well. Who, at the start of the year, we were like, Patrick McCarry, one of our most reliable linemen at right tackle, that you would have looked like an insane person. The excuse about the offensive line, I think, is hiding the fact that this year has been absolutely detrimental for Lamar Jackson's development, in my opinion. Um, and the injuries have been bad. And, you know, I think Kyle Barber, who writes for the Ravens, writes for Baltimore Beatdown, said that 24% of the salary cap uh, in terms of salaries and wages this year is on injured reserve or is out for the season, which is a horrific number. I don't think any team has had to deal with what the Ravens have had to deal with from preseason to now. But this was supposed to be the year that Lamar learned to maybe not have to make every big play. And... You know, they open up the deep passing game, which leads to him holding on to the ball longer, but he holds on to the ball longer, and you're trying to emphasize the deep passing game when you have the worst offensive line of his career. That doesn't make sense to me. And he holds on to the ball too long. He doesn't take the checkdowns. And frankly, he is incredibly inaccurate at short range, which we will get to towards the end of this game, obviously, with the, the big decision by, by John Harbaugh. And yeah, maybe I'm reacting only, you know, just over, I guess, less than 24 hours after this result happened as we record. But I think that 
we are seeing a continuing trend. It is not just against the Steelers. It's not just against the Browns. It's been a month now of bad quarterback play, and they have gotten out of it by the skin of their teeth, and we've all praised Lamar Jackson because of that. For me, now this is looking like something where the MVP guy is a thing of the past, and it might have just be, been because they were steamrolling teams and it was everything was easy. Now I am... And it sounds weird because two months ago I was gonna I was singing the opposite tune. Now I am horrified of dealing in a late game tight situation with him at quarterback because of the way he's played, not only on Sunday, but over over the past couple of weeks. He was bad. He was objectively bad, and I'm not here. And, and you know, people will defend him because he's great and lovable and fun to watch, and that's fine. And I get it. And we're not here to lambast our team, even though I am incredibly pessimistic most of the time. I know that. But you can't also just be a cult member for Lamar Jackson. You have to realize when he's bad and have to criticize him for it. That is part of being a fan that some people just don't realize. And he's been horrific, and he has been part of the detriment of this team. And we praised him earlier in the season because it, it seemed like he was able to turn it on late. He was able to turn it on when they needed it. He was able to get touchdowns late, come from behind, have the victories, make it to you know force overtime, whatever. But he was still having the same issues as he's having now. He was still the Dr. Jekyll and, and Mr. Hyde. Mr. Hyde, and, yeah, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde situation. You got it. There's that's the a book reference. I haven't yeah. read you in uh, 20 years. <laughs> um, where you see one version of him at one point in the game, and you see another version of him on the next possession. And in this game, it just happened where he was really good in the middle of the game for a second. They have a 99-yard drive, 16 plays. Uh, immediately after an interception and a three and out, they have this unbelievable drive. They convert like four or five third downs. He's fi- he's finally looking underneath when the Steelers are blitzing, and he's getting yards after carry from all of his, or yards after the catch from all of his receivers. And then that sort of fades, and they have to punt on the next possession, and then the half ends, and they're up seven to three in a game that they dominated in every statistical way except for points. And this is the watching Steelers games gray hairs because we've seen this game a thousand times where you have, as Jace mentioned, you have to get the points when they're there early because at the end of the game it's going to be close and would you rather be you know, up seven or down four or up three instead of down one and a consistent game from Lamar Jackson that let's have just starting with the first half would have given us that would have given us a slightly bigger cushion going into halftime the defense played amazing in the first half guys but it's inevitable that the Steelers are going to put something together in the second half let's stay with the first half for now I want your guys's defensive assessment of, of how they were able to do things well in the first half especially considering what faded and fell apart in the second half I mean, look, I don't even remember the first half based on how everything, <laughs> everything is crumbled. So I will, I will turn to Jace to break down this you know, more analytically and um, sanely than I can. But they were good because the Steelers are bad, and they were able to contain Najee Harris and Deontay Johnson, who, by the way, if you listened to this podcast last week, I told you he would be the detriment. And guess what? Jimmy Smith, it's third and six. We're just going to play 11 yards off and let him run over the middle when there's no linebacker sitting in that middle zone. That'll work, Wink. Thanks. Mm, Saving cuss words there. Um, You know, 
I think this defense, again, we've talked about this over and over again. When they don't give up the big play, they're relatively solid. Toward, if we're talking about the future of this defense with no Marlon Humphrey, who we haven't said is officially out for the season now, there's no help on the defensive backfield now. Just add another guy to that list of guys who won't be playing again. And, uh, yeah, Matt Stafford and Aaron Rodgers are still on, on the list to play. And uh, Ben Roethlisberger, who, by the way, this report that drops the Sunday before Raven Steelers at Heinz Field, that it might be his final season in Pittsburgh. First of all, uh, yeah, no S anyway, that this is going to be his final season in Pittsburgh. Everybody knows. But then Adam Schefter, thinking that he's in doing investigative journalism, when it's like, well, he's been speaking privately to people, but then all of a sudden, every insider in the National Football League has this news, but it's been private. It's been really, really private that it's Ben Roethlisberger's final season. Talk about a news dump on the day before his final game against the Ravens in Pittsburgh. You knew he was going to come out and do something in that second half. That's just how this thing works. Um, but yeah, I, to, to not talk about the future too much because we'll get to previews and things later. I thought, I thought they were good in the first half because they contained the two guys that could scare you. And part of containing the two guys that scare you is Deontay Johnson dropping an incredibly critical pass that, you know, I think it was, I believe it was Humphrey. It might have been Averitt. Didn't have covered didn't have covered well and Deontay Johnson just effed it up and we got away with it we did not get away with it in the second half yeah I I mean this the play Tim's referring to was the only thing I was shocked by was that that wasn't a touchdown because you know when the Steelers get the ball back uh right before the half like they're scoring points was no doubt in my mind that that was ending in some type of points I it's just incredible that it was only three points and I actually felt at the time that was a great stand by the defense to still, you know, keep you in the lead going into half. But, I, I mean, they were so good in the first half. And that's been what's just been frustrating all year is they're so good in stretches. And then they do have these these big plays allowed, these breakdowns. Um, but, but, you know, I think, like, for me, Antonio, the thing that, not to flip it back around on the offense immediately, but the thing was they were playing so well to only be up four points at halftime is just so discouraging. I mean, the Steelers had the ball for, what, six minutes in the first half? Uh, the time of possession disparity was, was astounding. And, and, and the, the, the series that really irked me, I think, the Ravens, obviously the interception by Lamar was horrible. <laughs> that was bad. But then horrific. Just oh you hold God, the Steelers horrendous. to a three and out. You go three and out. The Steelers go three and out again. You know, we've watched Ravens Steelers games before. None of that's uh, particularly surprising. But then the Steelers go four plays and punt. And the Ravens have like a, a decent like chance to add some points here before the half. There's 428 to go. And this is the series where, you know, Lamar gets sacked or sacked twice. Yeah. Um, and it just unravels the drive. And this was particularly the, the series, I think, where the issues I've been having with him, even just beyond, well, it is decision-making too, but th this was like, I feel like this series showed how it's not entirely the offensive line's fault. The Ravens' offensive line is terrible. Some of that is their fault. Uh, you know, other things you couldn't, not really, no one's fault in particular, like Ronnie Stanley's uh, kind of lingering injury, but, and Patrick McCarr getting hurt in this game again. These aren't like anyone's specific, like, faults, right? But um, I don't know if it's, it's just clear to me, like, especially you watch, like, some of these uh, sacks that he allowed, he had some protection. And 
you know, when you get sacked seven times, they're not all on the offensive line. Right. Lamar has the ability. He it seems like he's just wildly overthinking things, and I part of that could be he thinks. He has less time than he does because the line is so bad. You know, you're worried like you're like, this guy's going to get to me. But sometimes they do hold up and he just holds on the ball too long. You know, Romo pointed out several times um, just where he kind of just failed to pull the trigger when he probably had someone. Uh, It just seems like he's in his own head. He's trying to get the home run plays too much. And, you know, we talk like some of these these big comebacks they've had where they have fallen down big and they've had these inconsistent issues but where he has rallied him, he's like it's been simplified. He takes what the defense gives him, and we kind of saw that. Not to get too far ahead, at the very end of the game when he mm-hmm. led a very, very awesome touchdown drive. Um, but I, I don't know what they need, or like if this is a Greg Roman problem, if this is more concerningly Greg Roman slash the coaching staff at the whole not being able to get through to Lamar. But they need him to just calm down. <laughs> and simplify things you literally saw at one point when he had just a wild running around sequence uh a guy there was a guy in the background of the raven's sideline literally mouthing to him calm down and like doing the be calm hand gesture um you know we've talked for years at this point on this show about lamar getting too excited for big games and i i don't know if it's the pressure of Everything has been on him all season, but he is just overthinking things, I think, to a wild degree. And that's causing him to make mistakes and not pull the trigger. And it's just, I don't know. That that series just, for me, in the first half kind of encapsulated it all. Because to, to, to have as good a half as you had and only have seven points is so disconcerting. Uh, you know, the defense played great. The offense played mostly well, but just to not turn any of that into points. You know... The Ravens have not scored a touchdown in the first quarter since October 17th. They scored against the Chargers. They have not scored a touchdown in the first quarter since the October 17th. It's December 6th since we record this. That is, that is horrible. And these slow starts, it killed them in this game. And that's like kind of what ultimately undid them. Um, because the defense certainly did their part in the first half. Yeah, and I don't think you're wrong to kind of flip your conversation to the offense there, Jace. Because it's... I mean, look at look at the drives. Eleven plays, interception. Three plays, negative one yard. Six. Uh, you have the sixteen play, ninety nine yard drive that Tony, as I was calling him, Tony Roney, because I think he had a, one too many Coronas uh, during the broadcast. But that's something we don't have to dive into too much. That's the big drive. Great. There's your touchdown. Six plays, punt. Three plays, end of half. And your defense, on the other hand, it's a total of quick math. 19 plays between four drives for the Steelers and nine of those come on their field goal drive to, to make it seven, three, as we go into halftime and get the ball back. We've all watched this game before. I do not care how bad the Steelers are. I don't care how good the Ravens are vice versa. It is always going to be close every single time. Any sucker that took Ravens minus four and a half was an absolute joker because they don't know what they're, they haven't watched this game before. This is how this happens every single time. And when you constantly, and uh, you know, I might maybe I'm being a little bit too hard, and, and people, stat heads, all 22 guys can break it down for me more. But, Jace, I agree with you. Lamar is at fault for so many of these second downs that turn into third and seven, that turn into third and 12, that turn into, you know, third and 15 or whatever it is, you know, the eight pre snap penalties, as we mentioned before, that even if your offense is humming at some point, there's never any rhythm to it. There's never any like 
if you watch enough football, you just see when offenses are buzzing and they're moving. And, and we've seen this with the Lamar era, too. We've seen it where it's like you, you can kind of feel the beat. You can feel the rhythm. You can tap your toe to how the offense is playing. And it just hasn't been there for a month. What is this, the fifth straight game that they haven't scored even 20 points? And this is supposed to be the unit that's going to lead them into the playoffs? Like, get the hell out of here. That's that's nonsense to me. And everything is stagnated. And then it's, you know, first and, first and 10, right? And they run some great run play and they get to sec- second and six. Okay, great. Okay, that's four yards on first down. Love that. Take it every time. Every, every single time I watch a game, I'm sure people get annoyed with me. I'm just like, all right, you take that, you take that. Kind of walk away. I'm pacing constantly, shoving more buffalo chicken dip in my mouth as we go. And then it's second down. And every single time it's negative. Almost every time. And then you get to third and long. And it's like, oh, I don't know, Jim. They've been really bad at third down this year. They're the worst team in the NFL. As he's guzzling down the lime that somehow got through the bottle of the Corona because he's sucking on it so hard during this entire broadcast. But then it's it's third and long again. And it's you see worst third down conversion in the NFL. And then you put your defense back out on the field. And constantly, again, and as I'm the one who's turning this into the offensive conversation, as Antonio is like, please talk about the defense, guys. Please. You're putting them back out on the field over and over and over again to step up. And for the most part, they did, but then you see it crumble. Because guess what? Ben Roethlisberger, in his quote-unquote final game against the Ravens in Pittsburgh, is going to make the plays necessary, and he did, and the Ravens lost this game because they couldn't execute. I mean, it looked like in the second half, defensively, the the Steelers score 17 points in the fourth quarter of this game, basically. And the Ravens' defense looked gassed at in stretches, and that's what Tim is referring to when you keep having the defense have to come back onto the field after three and outs or short drives. But the defense only played like eight minutes in the first half. How are they not... Does that not impact their stamina in the second half? Are they not able to come back on the field after a couple of sustained drives from the Steelers? So that part was frustrating. I thought... I mean, I agree with everything you guys have said. Jace, seeing an offensive coach on the sidelines wave his arms to Lamar and yell, calm down, it happened again. It was sort of further in the background for a brief second, but you saw him doing it again in the second half of this game. It's frustrating to see because we're in year four. Yes, Lamar's very young, but we're in year four. These are the progressions you're supposed to make. Stay cool, stay balanced. And the problems of rhythm offensively, Tim, is a great point because it indicates, especially when the Ravens start games, that they start slow. That's supposed to be the first drive where you dictate exactly how you want your offense to flow. And it seems like everything is slow, methodical. They come out of the huddle late. They don't have a lot of time for Lamar to survey or to make any changes. Or the motion is, the timing of the motion is bad because the play clock is running down. And this is something we've noted in other games. I think, Jace, you may have said this a few weeks ago. When they go no huddle, either by choice or by necessity, all of a sudden points come and touchdowns come. (laughs) And the point of necessity is when they're down by 20 points in the second half. So they need to score three times in one half, like they did against the Colts. They had to go quick. They had to go no huddle because they didn't have time. But they also scored touchdowns at the end of all those drives. Late in the game... They have a minute and a half, whatever, a minute 36, and they go all the way down the field, and they score a touchdown in the most high-pressure situation, but it's because there was no huddle, and they were sort of not... I don't I don't know what it is. 
Can we force Greg Roman to go no huddle for an entire half of a football, maybe the first half of a game, to see if that simplifies things for Lamar? Defenses aren't aren't able to to substitute as well. Aren't able to call as many blitzes. Aren't able to blitz over and over and over again because of the pace of a no huddle offense. And it's able to get first downs and points consistently. And it's just it's frustrating how easy you know quote unquote easily they were able to score a touchdown late in this game. But not in other stages when everything is just slow and they go, Tim, as you mentioned, first and 10, second and six, third and 13. And they're in the worst situation that this Ravens offense can face, which is a third and long. Yeah, look, and and I'll caveat this with, you know, it's the overreaction after a loss, especially to the Steelers and just, you know, yada, yada, yada. Take all that with a grain of salt. But we've we've heard this for a long time that, has this team, and this is a bigger conversation probably for the offseason, if and when it happens or if it doesn't happen, we can have this debate. Has this offense peaked under Roman? You know, we keep talking about you, it, Lamar. Oh, Lamar needs Greg Roman because of this great running stuff they've done. And then they've tried to open up the passing game. And there are guys smarter than me on Twitter. Chris Brown at literally smart football. Uh, you know, you look at Robert Mays of The Athletic. You look at Nate Tice of The Athletic as well, who constantly call out the passing schemes in Greg Roman's offense that are, and I've, I've seen this term before, middle school level. Like, they are just atrocious. And you, you're like, well, get Lamar more weapons and do this. And I'm not trying to pass the buck because, again, Lamar was terrible. Like, I, I'm not – people need to understand that this is not trying to – you can blame everybody. That's fine because everybody was bad. Nate Tice, who I mentioned – Former quarterback is now, you know, if you listen to him on the athletic football show, they don't need our plugs, but they, him and Robert Mays do a very, very good nerdy football breakdown, if, if that's what you're feeling, uh, every Monday. And they obviously have previews and whatever, but I like listening to the Monday one. And Tice, uh, Tice excuse me, during the game, put out the play with Devontae Freeman, which was the, the fake to DuVarnay, and it was like the fake handoff to him, and then they put up to, to Freeman up the gut. He gets like 18 yards. And it was a really creative play, and it was... Greg Roman going into his vault, as he mentioned before uh, in the previous week. And this is the quote from Nate goes, just so infuriating to watch the Ravens offense do creative stuff in the run game like this counterplay, but be so sloppy with their pass game stuff. So sloppy. Years and years and years we've seen this now. And it's been, again, we've, we thought that, oh, Roman's the perfect coordinator for Lamar. We don't want to keep changing coordinators because that happened to Flacco, and I think that probably was part of the issue, even though Flacco definitely stunted after getting the money in the Super Bowl year or whatever. I think they've peaked under Roman, and I worry about the development of our franchise and that franchise being the quarterback because everything about the intermediate to long-term success in the next five to 10 years of this franchise is on Lamar Jackson, whether he likes it or not, it might be time to do something different because the guy has the talent. We know it, but he's overthinking things as Jay said, or the concepts aren't there. Or like you said, Antonio, they're not willing to do stuff that might fit him in the passing game. Obviously the running game has been strong and the injuries, what have you, the caveats are all there. We don't have to keep caveating them, but it seems like something has to happen. And, you know, I want to go back to it. And Antonio, you mentioned it too, but it's just, you watch enough football just to know it's like, I'm trying to think of this in a, not, in a, in a family show way, but the, the rhythm isn't there. Everything is just stagnated and stunted in some sort of way that it just doesn't feel 
right. You know, it doesn't it doesn't any flow. You watch the Packers, they're flowing. You even watch when McVay and the Rams are, and it's just boom, 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 boom. And there's tempo there and there's pace and they're tapping their toe, but it's just not there with the Ravens. You watched the Ravens two years ago and they right. had the best rhythm of any team I've ever seen. Just, <laughs> it's like smooth jazz. And now we're listening to emo rap or something. I don't know. It's just terrible. It's horrible. Uh, Tim, I've definitely been thinking about Roman, if this might, you know, as you said, something to certainly circle back on, depending on the Last time they fired an offensive coordinator midseason, they won a Super Bowl. Just saying. And to your point, like, this is the NFL, and the Ravens haven't – this is the – not only is this the NFL, this is the NFL in 2021, when offense has never been easier. And the Ravens haven't scored 20 points, as you said. It's five of the last six games now they haven't scored 20 points. And that's just not acceptable at this level. Um, you know, you can throw one game out because Tyler Huntley started fine, but still, you know, four of your last five then. Um, so uh, with Lamar Jackson, so they're just not getting it done. And it's this disparity has been on display all year. The Ravens are still fifth in total yardage uh, on the season uh, and they're 15th or 16th in, you know, points scored. They, they're just not converting into points. And I'm with you. I feel like in many ways, you know, Maybe it's worth getting a second voice maybe before or, you know, a a different system, maybe before you pay Lamar Jackson, you know, $200 million, maybe see what he does under different coordinators. Um, I wouldn't hate getting a refresh. The other thing that just has concerned me with this offense is, you know, we, we, we were so excited to get all these receivers back. And this is what concerns me with Roman. We were so excited to get all these wide receivers back. And then once they've been back, they're just not getting the ball anymore. And I don't know. Like, what this is, and it seems like, you know, we're back to, you know, 2019 with Lamar locking into Mark Andrews on every single big moment. Oh, That's God, been the source yeah. of, like, half of his interceptions. You know, Rashad Bateman is targeted one time in this game on Sunday. And the Steelers don't have Mel Blunt. They don't have Rod Woodson back there, you know. They don't have, like, the greatest secondary Mel in the world. This, in fact, I mean, yeah. What, what, defense, by the way, what a by the way, this is, we know Jace is a football reference. nerd that he references Mel Blunt. But continue. Hall of Famer. Hall of Famer Steelers defensive back. He's a good, it's a good reference. <laughs> but they don't have these, like, they don't have, like, they have Mika Fitzpatrick, but, like, their corners aren't, like, locked down. And you spent a first-round pick on this guy who's ostensibly healthy. How does he get one ball thrown his direction? It makes zero sense to me. Yeah. It's very confusing. Um, especially with how impressive he seemed and, like, even Hollywood, he ends up leading the team in receptions, but he had, he was almost non-existent in the first half. He maybe caught one pass for like three yards in the first half, but um, it's just been, as you you guys have said, it's the flow's been off. It's just been strange. And I do wonder if they consider making a change if these, um, these struggles continue, because I think as Antonio said, the most um, concerning part is, is that this is year four for Lamar. And, you know, it seemed like he had made the leap earlier in the season, but to just have like backslid and regressed in so many ways, again, I think the line's part of it. And as Tim said, all the caveats, but you know, part of an offensive coordinator's job is to find the solutions or at the very least, you know, connect to your quarterback and find ways to help him solve these problems. And I don't think he's been getting it done lately. Yeah. I'm going to add a couple of small caveats. The, the Ravens cannot run the ball effectively, especially on first down, because yeah. they have yep. three running backs of their depth chart, one, two, and then a distant third, all out. They have a left tackle who was an all-pro, who's missed the entire season. Their right side of the line is a disaster. They're unable to establish what 
is how this offense is supposed to work with five to six yards on the ground on first down. That's not working, so therefore teams are now able to blitz, and they're able to blitz a lot. These Obviously, the last few weeks, teams have found something that works against Lamar Jackson and against the Ravens' offense. They're able to blitz consistently. They're able to get a ton of pressure consistently. And then that's creating the problems of Lamar Jackson goes to his security blanket, which makes sense. If you have two seconds running backwards with three 280-pound sprinters running at you looking to kill you, you turn to the first option, you turn to the guy that you've known for years, and you go to Andrews, and that's where you see Bateman getting fewer touches. And that's all this stuff trickles down from the issue being this offense is supposed to be a run first, establish everything off of that offense. And because of, I think because of an impossible list of injuries to fix, that everything trickles down to Lamar having to play hero ball and making mistakes because that's what happens. When a point guard in basketball has nobody to, you know, find outlets, he will start turning the ball over. His turnovers are going to go up. The offense is going to look We're good. not here to talk about Mark Turgeon. sport reference Jesus. for you. Yeah. yeah. So it's just uh, a frustrating trickle-down effect of problems that has led us to an offense that cannot score points until it's sort of, you know, schoolyard football late in games when everything breaks down, and that's when Lamar's positive attributes shine let's finish this game up at least that as as the game flow went here i mentioned it the steelers 17 points in the fourth quarter they go touchdown field goal touchdown uh i was impressed here's a positive note to again try to spin this try to drag jason tim's collars away from the edge of the cliff Something cool that it's unclear to me, uh, unclear to everyone, whether it was intentional or not. And I want to bring this up. Uh, And this is on the Steelers' final drive when the score is to start, what, 13-12, right? Yes. I think Mm -hmm. I have that right. 13-12. Yep, 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 yep. And the Steelers are driving, and it's one of those situations where First of all, oh no, they're getting into field goal range, but also the clock is running down at an alarming rate, and the Ravens have three timeouts, and it's, well, when do they call them? How do we get the ball back? How do we prevent the Steelers from just running all of the clock down and kicking the chip shot field goal with two seconds left? And we get into a situation where it's second and two on the Baltimore 13, and it's the the two-minute warning has just happened. The Ravens have three timeouts statistically, mathematically, whatever, the odds of the Steelers getting two yards on either second down or third down is pretty high. And if that happens, the Ravens will then, even with three timeouts, be unable to stop the clock from running down significantly and the Steelers then kicking a field goal. So Chuck Clark, on second and two, on the other side of the two-minute warning, just immediately jumps offside and creates first and goal from the eight-yard line. But now it's first down. It's still eight yards. It's essentially like having to get a first down. Instead of first and ten, it's first and eight, let's say. First and goal from the eight-yard line. And now the Ravens have three timeouts, and the Steelers run three plays. And it it turned the math where now the Ravens could get the ball back with a minute and a half or a you know, minute 40, depending on how things go. And they work it out to perfection, 
Except for they gave a touchdown up instead of the field goal, <laughs> which is fine. You know, uh, third and five, a minute 48. Uh, you know, you just have the defensive lapse where the Steelers score a touchdown, and, and now it's 20 to 13 uh, instead of the Ravens having a lead or just a two point deficit. Uh, so I was impressed by that. It's unclear uh, in the Ravens' facility whether or not they told Chuck Clark to go offside or not. Uh, maybe we'll never find out. But I thought it was kind of a cool, kind of kind of a cool inside football play where it looks like a negative, but actually gives you a situation to have time to win the game late. And we do have time to win the game late, even with <laughs> the Ravens' defense giving up a touchdown. And we have to talk about it, guys. We've saved it. We're 39 minutes in here. We have to talk about it. The Ravens go all the way down the field, encounter a third and 14, encounter a third and five with 12 seconds left, and they have a touchdown pass. Sammy Watkins, who'd had a pretty bad game up until this point. <laughs> Redemption for Sammy. And it's a touchdown, and it's 20-19, to 19, and the Ravens elect to go for two. You guys have all seen it, all the listeners. You've seen the play. You've seen the highlights. I'm going to turn to my co-host for some analysis here. I will spoil it a little bit, where the decision to go for two, Harbaugh has since said, was impacted by the fact that Marlon Humphrey was now out for the rest of the game and the rest of the season, and Harbaugh had no idea who was even going to be able to play corner if the game went to overtime. However, in that moment, I turn to my two co-hosts for your thoughts. Was it the right move? Was it the wrong move? Should we still be trying to go to overtime? Because if we get the ball first, we can try to score and, and you know, set the tone that way or win the game outright in overtime on the first possession with a touchdown. I turn to you. We're going to start with Tim. What, it, what were your thoughts? What was your, what was your thought process? Uh, what, was it, what was it like out there, Tim, uh, when the Ravens elected to go for two in Pittsburgh with 12 seconds left for the win down one point? Uh, so y'all have watched a game with me, uh, and you'll be shocked to know I watched this with a Steelers fan. A uh, good friend of mine is a Steelers fan, and there was there was more Ravens fans in attendance than the, than the one lonely Pittsburgh fan. But um, dread when he when John went, let's go for two, and we knew it was coming. I knew he was going to hit hit him with the double fingers because uh, it's just it's John it's Johnny Analytics Hardball now, which I think it's one of those things that we can talk about as a bigger debate for the NFL. I think it's almost skewing too far that way because it's the cool thing to do. Before we get to that, just very quickly, and not to sidetrack this too much, but Antonio, he does his best to drag us off the ledge and take the shoelaces away by mentioning Chuck Clark. He knows how much I love that man, and I appreciate him for it. This is interesting. From Ken McCusick on Twitter, who is at Film Study Ravens. Again, another, if you're on Twitter, you like nerdy football, offensive line protections and stuff like this guy, give him a follow. He's a great guy. We'd love to get him on the show soon, but... It is the third time that the Ravens have done this with Chuck Clark since 2019, the intentional offsides. Now, Harbaugh is, was mums the word on it. He didn't, in his press conference on Monday, basically said either neither yay nor nay about whether they did it intentionally, but it's the third time they've done it. So that's, I think that's interesting. And by the way, Chuck Clark also, um, his hit that was definitely <laughs> probably a flag in today's NFL, but they didn't flag it, and that's fine because the referees were frankly horrible mostly in favor of the Ravens. We don't want to say that, but I would say mostly in favor of the Ravens in this game. Um, that hit was awesome. I hope he does that every single time. And the fact, in 2021, when I can hear a hit through my television screen, oh, there's nothing better than hearing the thwap of the helmet against against the shoulder pads there. Oh, 
It was glorious. Anyway, sorry. Back to the question at hand. In the moment, I thought it was the wrong uh, decision. Um, and this is with the caveat, as Antonio said. We didn't really know about the Humphrey injury. Didn't know that they didn't have any corners left. As somebody who usually is a total agreement, just go for it, win the game right here. I had my doubts only because um, we have the greatest overtime weapon in the history of the National Football League in Justin Tucker. And my thought being Ravens have to make one stop in overtime at most. You get field goal range. They've been I know they've been playing like crap, but you know, that's you have Justin Tucker. He can kick it from anywhere. I don't care if it's Heinz Field. And Boswell had already missed. So there's a little bit of shakiness there. I thought the Ravens had the advantage in overtime. After the decision had been made, the play call was flawless. For the amount of criticism that we've given Greg Roman, the amount of criticism we've given, well, Greg Roman, because I'm not going to, because we, rightly I'm going to criticize Lamar Jackson again here. He effed up again. And the worst play of the day um, in the biggest moment, he misses Mark Andrews on the play that would have ended it. TJ, oh, but TJ Watt was in his face. I don't care. You, you are an elite quarterback that is supposed to make that play to a frankly open receiver, but you can't hit a guy three yards in front of you. Um, he missed him. Roman made the right play. I, yeah. In summary, I don't think it was the right call, but after the call was made by Harbaugh, Roman, Greg Roman, the offensive coordinator, did make the right call, and the play just wasn't executed. And, you know, in a weird way, I... <laughs> To try and be glass half full, I think it's good because it shows and exposes the flaws of this team to the Ravens fan base. Like, this team is not winning the Super Bowl, guys. Sorry. Like, don't get your hopes up. Join join the cult of Jason Tim. Join us. Pessimism <laughs> is the only way to get through life with this team. I Some some people call it realism. I choose to accept pessimism because I'm, I'm an upset person most of the time. I think if we get out of there with a win, people are like, oh, look at what Lamar did on the final drive and wouldn't want to admit that he's crap or was crap. Sorry. Um, but yeah, again, I don't like it in the moment. The play call was good and then they didn't execute and that's why they lost. I love when we disagree because it never happens. I loved the decision to go for two in the moment. I was fired up. I was like, Let's do it. Let's win this. We have no right to win this game. But, you know, I, I was just of the mind, Tim, that if the Ravens were going to win, it was going to have to be in regulation. Because, you know, as Antonio has pointed out, um, and we've talked about, the Steelers' offense kind of got rolling in the fourth quarter. Sure. They shouldn't have, but, you know, this is what the Ravens' defense does. Uh, the, the Ravens' defense all year has been very good at limiting points and then has no one to make a big play when they need it. And I had no indication that anyone would stop, step up and, you know, make a stop in overtime. Um, and in my view, it was basically, do we want to either win or lose now or then definitely lose in overtime? Maybe that's the pure pessimism I always go into the Steelers games with, just assuming we'd lose if it went to overtime. Um, but 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 I, I, I love the decision. I... I you know, uh, Harbaugh kind of paraphrased this post game, but, uh, you know, as Herm Edwards once said, you play to win the game. And I think when you're presented with a chance to win the game uh, immediately, basically with 12 seconds to go um, I, on the road in Pittsburgh, really hard place to play when you haven't been playing well. And I think that's the other thing. You know, it was such a struggle to get just their second touchdown of the day. Um I just thought there was no points uh, guaranteed, and I, I like the decision to try to 
just when, um, especially with, you know, we didn't know Humphrey was going to be out for the season, certainly, but we knew he was at least banged up. Um, and the, the secondary entering this week was very banged up. It was in a pretty dire, dire place. And, you know, Anthony Averett was awful all game. And then now he's your number one corner. So uh, I love the decision. I thought it was the right call. And as you said, I love the play call. Um, and Lamar missed him, man. It was, stinks. It happens, you know, as uh, University of Maryland alums, we saw a very similar thing when our alma mater nearly beat uh, a top five Ohio State team a few years ago when they went for the win and screwed it up. Uh, this has happened again, but, you know, Mark Andrews played the good soldier and said that uh, he didn't make a play on it, but it was a bad pass. It was it's a bad it, throw. I put it on, yeah, yeah, I put it more on Lamar. Um, he didn't get it done, and, but... I love the mentality. I liked going for it. I actually thought the Ravens should have been uh, more aggressive earlier. They uh, on a uh, they kicked a twenty eight yard field goal on fourth and two when they were up ten to nine earlier in the fourth quarter. Um, I kind of personally thought, um, you know, they they could have maybe gone for that then to try to you know fourth and two. I know they hadn't moved the ball well, but you're, you're down there pretty far, and I, I just I always want to get points when you can, but. Uh, the one thing, you know, in hindsight, um, certainly worth noting about the Ravens' attempt to go for it. This was via ESPN uh, after that failure. So Lamar is now 3 of 10 on two-point conversions in his career, uh, which is the second worst conversion rate in the past 20 seasons uh, of the 40 players who have 10-plus two-point conversion attempts. So um, I was not aware in the moment that he is that bad at converting them, although we saw them convert two separate, two of his, you know, three career conversions were in the Colts game earlier this season. So um, I, I still, despite learning that after the fact, I was still very much for it in the moment. I think you win the game when you can, and unfortunately it just didn't work out. Yeah, I, th- I mean, the, the fun game to play is, would he still have gone for it if Humphrey, or would we think they should have gone for it if Humphrey was actually healthy in, in that scenario? I like, I, th- I like it. I think Harbaugh viewed it as a coin toss is 50-50. If the Steelers get the ball, they're going to score because they've just scored on the last three straight possessions. Our defense is reeling and Humphrey is out. Are the odds of our offense being able to get two yards on one play higher than 50%? If so, got to go for it. Got to try and steal a road win. It's frustrating. Uh, I uh, was on the record in my living room of saying that they should have done their classic, uh, just like QB power. Just put Ricard, get your extra lineman, and just pick a side, left or right, and just let Lamar pick the hole and, and try to, you know, be quick enough to, to burst through it or over it or around it or something and see if he can get two yards. But the play worked. The play call worked. And he missed Andrews by two inches. As we talked about in the intro to this episode, football, how it can be a game of inches. If it's two inches to the left, it's caught. And we're talking about the Ravens eking out another victory and being 9-3. and three. As it is, they're 8-4, and four, still in first place in the AFC North. Guys, it's Steelers week, so we're going to go long here, at least with this section. One more minute from each of you in terms of the long term here. What are the realistic expectations of this team now at 8-4, first place in the AFC North, down Humphrey now, and just add it to the list uh, of a secondary where 
I study the Ravens and am struggling to come up with all the names on the roster in the secondary at this point. But what are a realistic? What is a realistic expectation for this team at eight and four moving forward? Playoffs. That's it. Yeah, I'm with Tim. Um, we were talking a little uh, pre-show, Antonio. I'm back to the existential crisis uh, with this Ravens team. Of I do think they'll make the playoffs. I think that at this point is your lone goal. Really, this team is not going to win the Super Bowl, not with these injuries. Um, certainly not the way they've been playing on offense lately. And so I guess that's the only thing I want to see is I want to see improvement from Lamar Jackson, uh, kind of a return to the form we saw a lot more of earlier this season, which made us all really excited that he had made the leap. Um, just stop this, you know, slide he's been on. Um, and, you know, if they play competitive football and lose – you know, four of their last five games because Anthony Averett's their number one defensive back. Oh my <laughs> so <gosh>. be it. <laughs> um, Saying it, uh, I hadn't said it out loud yet, Chase. I had, I guess, yeah, read it. Got, or said it's it in a my very head. real thing, guys. It's oh, a real rip thing. Rip the band off. <laughs> so it, it's going to be rough. Uh, but I think if we see improvement from Lamar, it'll be okay. And I'll, I'm more than willing to accept. Um, whatever uh, defensive or uh, whatever postseason result comes. As Tim mentioned, uh, $44.3 million on the, uh, uh, of the salary cap on IR at the moment. Um, that's seven starters, including three of your five highest paid starters on season ending IR. Yeah. Um, this team, it's going to be a struggle. Um, and, you know, you just hope the offense kind of finds its footing and, you know, maybe they went around in the playoffs because they, as you said, they could very well still have a home game. The AFC North is not that good. Um, but, uh, yeah, grand grand goals, I think, you know, this isn't a Super Bowl team. But if they if they show some fight and make the playoffs, I think that's, you know, it's about as satisfying as this season is going to be at this point. To take you to the Pod Like a Raven text group um, for the one thing that we can say because most of the stuff during the game, admittedly from me, we couldn't couldn't say here on the air, here on Pod Like Raven, but Jace nailed this question earlier uh, at, let's see, 9.44 p.m. Eastern time on Sunday. Excited to win 9 to 10 games, fall in the playoff, or fall into the playoff, excuse me, lose in the first round, and pick 22nd, and not to pat my own back, but then I go, and the off- offensive lineman we need goes number 21 right before us. So that's kind of what I'm expecting. Yeah, it's a shame to think of this team's won 8 out of 12 games with this skeleton roster. What could have been uh, this season if Ronnie Stanley, J.K. Dobbins, Gus Edwards. You know what I'm hearing, Tim? Baltimore Ravens Super Bowl champions 2022. Put 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 it on now. 2023, technically. Yeah, year, uh, yeah. January, February. The next one, not this one. The next one. <laughs> They have put so it many up, put your money picks, on it now. Guys, they have so many picks. They just get depth. They just hit on a couple of those, and then they have depth, and everything's fine, and players are healthy. Mm. They're 8-4 right now. I think they have to win a game. I, I'm fairly confident 9-8 and eight is going to get a team to the postseason. Granted, they do finish at Browns, home to the Packers, at Bengals, home to the Rams, home to the Steelers. Can they go two and five? That's almost going to guarantee a playoff spot and may win the AFC North if they can go two. I'm not sure if I said two and five. If they can go two and three, win two of five, then I'm fairly sure they're going to win the AFC North. So we will see. I agree with you guys that this uh, going to the postseason would be like 
on applaud this team in a season retrospective, uh, you know, in the, in the spring when we're reviewing how this Ravens roster was able to go to the playoffs, but we will see, uh, tiny note because I try to keep things, try to keep things light, try to keep things positive. Uh, I think Tim and I would have fun hour long discussions of how, whether or not I'm positive realist and Tim's negative realist, pessimist realist. We're, we're somewhere on that sliding scale, but I'm going to try to finish with something positive that I did not expect. And that's Devonta Freeman. He had a, he had himself oh, a big boy game in the Ravens Steelers matchup. And this was not a guy any of us would have expected to show up in a game like this. And he was breaking tackles. John with all the Steelers de- defenders. <laughs> it was sort of a like, welcome to the Ravens moment for Devonta Freeman, breaking tackles and making plays, scoring touchdowns. As the Ravens came up one point short. But, all right. <laughs> Who cares? 14 carries, 52 yards, and a loss. Get out of here. Devontae Freeman, who hasn't been relevant since 2016, won't have a part of this team next year when the actual running backs come back. Uh, sure. You are being positive. I'm ending it with a negative. I don't give an S about Devontae Freeman's so-so performance in Pittsburgh. And the rest well, of the Tim, NFL. You don't want to be cheered up. <laughs> In the rest of the NFL, the Bengals played. Got to talk about the NFC North. The Browns were on a bye, but the Cincinnati Bengals played. And, of course, they got crushed at home <laughs> to the L.A. Chargers in a season that makes no sense. Again, the Chargers led by 24. They were up 24 to nothing in this game. Then it was 24-22. <laughs> and then Joe Mixon had a fumble that was returned for a touchdown, and this game ended 41-22. A matchup that had 700 yards of total offense <laughs> and seven turnovers. The Bengals not able to capitalize in a situation with the you know, the Ravens losing. And they are now 7-5, and five, one game still behind the Ravens in the AFC North. Thoughts on, uh, on the Bengals' performance on Sunday? This was one of those classic, the Chargers got the points, so just pick them if you're gambling because both of these teams are wildly inconsistent. And, uh, I mean, look, it ended 41 to 22. It, like you said, the chargers got out to a big lead at one point, And I have to look this up. I believe it was 24 to 22. Uh, yeah, 24 to 22. The, the Bengals came storming back Joe Burrow. I wish he was in like the NFC West because I love watching him play. He dislocates the pinky. They're showing him on the sidelines. He's like screaming F bombs as he's throwing it. Cause it hurts so bad. Yet he comes in there, toughs it out, and still almost brings it back. And then it got away from him a little bit later in the game, obviously. But, yeah, the Bengals, for me, simply, the Bengals are the team that I hope they have a monumental win before playing us because they're that team that's going to lose and then rebound and then lose and then rebound. Remember, they beat us and then lost to the Jets. Like, this this is how this team (laughs) operates. So, it. It's still tough to be worried about them, even though, you know, they blew the doors off of the Ravens earlier in the year. But it's just a, a typical from two teams that are just all over the place, a very typical Bengals performance. Yeah, for me, Tim, they're like the definition of a young team. Um, True. Because I think on paper they should probably be the team that wins this division based on the talent available, the their the relative health compared to, you know, their division rivals. The Browns are super beat up. Obviously, we know what the Ravens have going on. The Steelers are lucky to score 20 points every week. <laughs> um, uh, 
so like they should but i think like as you said they're just going to be wildly inconsistent i was pleasantly surprised the chargers didn't go full chargers as a ravens fan i was certainly rooting for the chargers to beat the Bengals in this game and i was like oh you're really not blowing a 24 nothing lead are you but uh and the warning signs were the warning sirens were flashing when they cut it to 24 22 but they missed the two point and then as yeah santonio said the mixon's fumble kind of reversed that but Weird division. The AFC North is not very good this year. I think we've seen this in years past with the AFC, or not the AFC, the NFC East, um, you know, where every team's close and it's because they all went 9-7. and seven. I think we have a very similar thing going on in the AFC North this year uh, with injuries and just inconsistent play. Elsewhere in the NFL, a game we have to talk about because congratulations to the Detroit Lions, no longer a winless team. I guess, I mean, the Vikings had the most Vikings way to lose a game ever. Uh, I was watching this game for definitely no reasons that involved financial implications on (laughs) things relating to the NFL. And the Vikings on the last drive of Detroit are essentially doing the perfect two-minute drive defense, if you were an offense— they're letting every lion get out of bounds on every play. It's fantastic. Just gain of 12 out of bounds, gain of 8 out of bounds. Perfect. And then the final play, which is just fantastic, with like just a couple of seconds left, uh, Jared Goff is able to throw, I don't even know what to call it, just like an in, a comeback route to a wide receiver into the end zone where every Vikings defender is just playing nice and off. Uh, they allow the Lions receiver to run into the end zone turn around and catch the ball. And that's how the Vikings deserve to lose a game and potentially lose their season uh, as they now fall to 5-7 and seven and are pretty much out of the playoff hunt. Congratulations to the Lions. Did either of you uh, watch large chunks of this game? Yeah, I, I did. Um, it was... It's the one week I, I like to do picks for myself just to keep track of stuff during the, the game. And you've heard me on this podcast multiple times. Vouch for the fight in Dan Campbell's and tell you to pick them. They're good at ATS. They're good against the spread. I didn't this time, of course. And this is the time they come out with the win. I, I know he's made some idiotic decisions. I still like Dan, Fan, Dan Campbell as a football guy and a, and a football coach. Maybe it's because I'm into that old school mentality, uh, three yards in a cloud of dust type stuff. But he's got a six-year contract there. I just really hope they build him a roster that he might be able to compete with. I, I it's Detroit, so who knows? They're, like, you know, comically bad over the years, but we'll see. And, and, and it, it's a good story for them. Um, and, yeah, this is – I mean, we, we said this during the Ravens game in the preview and the recap of the Ravens' win over the Vikings. This is the end of the Mike Zimmer era, and it, it is unequivocally the end of the Mike Zimmer era. What happens to Kirk Cousins, I think, is the bigger question here for Minnesota because, I don't know, the stats look good, but, man, you just watch him play, and it's just not – it's not there. Yeah, the the defense on the final drive and uh, was especially baffling. I mean, one of uh, I I forget who it was. Whoever the receiver, I'm on Ross and Brown. I guess the receiver caught the final pass. Uh, described the the Vikings coverage on that final play, where as you said, Antonio, they seemingly were playing to not get beat deep. 
despite it being fourth and two with uh, about four seconds to go. I mean, the Lions scored this uh, this this touchdown with literally no time left on the clock. But uh, yeah, they just let him run into the end zone, turn around, golf stuck it on him, and that was the game. And he, he called the Vikings coverage like something along the lines of quite surprising. <laughs> so that's not what you want. And uh, yeah, just happy for the Lions. You know, I, I think they're, as Tim said, they're quite a bad team. Um, certainly they're uh hurtling seemingly for the first pick in the nfl draft but they've had a few close calls this year they should have probably had a few wins already um and um you know it, no team deserves to go winless <laughs> it's a, you, we work too hard for it and as he said i don't know if dan campbell's a great coach it, it's so hard to judge anything that happens with the lions uh <laughs> like outside of the the vacuum that is the lions but uh um but yeah, I was just very excited for them. And yeah, Tim nailed it. This is, uh, I think, put the nail in the Zimmer era. It seemed like we were heading, uh, the, you know, they needed a change. And I think this will just kind of jumpstart it, especially if, you know, this they seemingly, they're still very much alive, but they might fall out of the playoff picture um, and stuff. And it seems like a, like a good team that could be in, in need of a, a big change. So um, yeah, but shout out Detroit. It's always good to... The celebration was fun, and you you know you're the what twelve games of the season to finally get your first win. Uh, you know it was a nice uh, kind of pressure relief for everyone involved. The Lions one ten and one on the season, eight and four <laughs> again. They're a playoff team against the spread. Uh, something maybe to pay attention to in the uh, good teams win the last teams quarter better. of the season. Uh, elsewhere in the NFL, a team we really have not spoken about. A lot, if at all, uh, over the season, but I'm pretty sure some of our listeners, uh, because of the D.C.-Baltimore connection, uh, some of our listeners are fans of this team. The Washington football team quietly has won four games in a row, now 6-6, six and six, after their 17-15 win in Las Vegas. A legitimate chance for a wildcard berth from this Washington team. However, their schedule will finish against Dallas, Philadelphia, Dallas again, Philly again, and then the New York Giants. So four of the next five games, well, the next four games will be tough. But, Jason, uh, you have, uh, you're you the guy from Frederick, Maryland, so some connections here to, uh, to the Washington fan base. Thoughts on the football team being able to win, I don't know, two of these three games, maybe three, uh, and get a playoff spot? It certainly seems a lot more doable than it did just a few weeks ago. It, it's kind of surprising. They're in such a weird sort of place. Uh, they did this last year, too. They went 2-7 and seven to start last year before rallying to win uh, the NFC East at 7-9. and nine. And then they start 2-6 and six this year. They're back to fi- 500. And, uh, you know, their defense has suddenly improved after being one of the worst units in the NFL. I mean... They've somehow won their last two games 17 to 15, which seems like abnormal scores that <laughs> you probably don't post too much. Um, the guy that interests me or fascinates me is Taylor Heineke, because um, he, I, I do think Washington is certainly in need of a, a star quarterback, but in now playing themselves back into playoff contention, uh, they seemingly won't be picking, you know, one of probably the top few quarterbacks off the board, probably Matt Corral from Ole Miss, Kenny Pickett from Pitt. 
they're probably going to be gone by the time Washington picks now. And so now I don't know, is just Taylor Heineke your quarterback again next year? <laughs> and it's and they're in a, a weird place with him because he seems to make just enough plays and he's kind of a fearless dude. Jace, he's a winner sometimes. You know, his teammates seem to love him and the fan base seems to like him too. He certainly, he seems like he has a clear ceiling, but I don't know. He, if he gets wins, like he kind of, that's the ultimate goal, right? At the end of the day. So uh, yeah, I hope they make it. I always root for the football team despite, you know, their uh sort of you know dan steiner owning the team um but besides him i i know enough people who like this team i always root for them to have success and uh yeah it's exciting i hope they make the playoffs uh you know they're all these nfc east teams are always on national tv as you pointed out and they're all playing each other so we're going to see a lot of the football team down the stretch here so that they're 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 competent and in the mix is exciting and it seems like ron rivera's been doing a pretty good job there I was going to do the uh, AFC and NFC playoff picture before we moved away from this, but seemingly 27 of the 32 NFL teams are in the hunt somehow (laughs) to go to the postseason. So we're going to save that for later in the year when we actually have a better sense of who is actually going to go to the postseason, who has a chance, and who doesn't. Let's turn now to the random Raven. Jace, you are up this week, and who do you have for us? I do. I uh, I think this is less hard. I went to the Hardwell uh, the last time I was on the Random Raven, but I don't think this one's too hard, but we shall see. Um, so, clue number one. This player was drafted by the Cleveland Browns, the Ravens' opponent this week, in the fifth round of the 1990 NFL Draft. The Syracuse product spent six years with Cleveland before spending another six years with the Ravens upon the Browns' move to Baltimore. So that's 12 years in the Browns slash Ravens organization. This player led the 2000 Ravens with 10 and a half sacks and finished his time in Baltimore with 26 and a half sacks totals that land him eighth on the Ravens all time sacks list. This player who wore number 90 throughout his NFL career compiled 73 sacks overall between the Browns, Ravens and Dolphins with whom he played his final two seasons after leaving the Ravens following the 2001 season. And then finally, This player was a member of the Ravens radio team from 2006 to 2009, joining Jerry Sandusky and former Colts star Stan White in the booth. So where did you say he ranks all time in Ravens sacks? He's he's eighth. He's right below Matt Judon, believe it or not, and right ahead of, I believe, former random Raven Trevor Price. This is one of those you forget that this franchise is very new, guys, (laughs) that he's top ten. But okay, interesting. So not the hardest, I don't think. Seems like, Tim, you have it. But, uh, yeah. you know, I, I'm running out of names here. <laughs> a guy I was thinking about, someone mentioned on the podcast like two weeks ago, and I was like, can't use him. <laughs> so file that back away. Let's turn now to the next game for the Baltimore Ravens. Traveling to Cleveland to face the Browns. The Ravens just had to do Browns Sunday night, Steelers and then Browns, whereas Cleveland had a bye and now gets to play the same team back-to-back. Something I have not seen in a long time in NFL scheduling where a team plays the same opponent in back-to-back games. Let's start with the Ravens offensively against the Browns defensively. I mean, we've just seen it. The blueprint is there, strangely enough, but is this fixable for the Ravens from one week to the next? Can the Ravens score 20 points? Can Lamar have some sort of consistent performance? Can they run the ball against this Browns defense? Is this is it fixable? 
uh, from one week to the next? And if so, how are they able to change things to put pressure on the Browns defense? I only I'll go quick here. I say no, because the the Browns have had a bye week and it's they get to see Greg Roman again. And unless Greg Roman's, quote, going into his bag, as the young kids say, I think they'll have plenty of talent. Um, you know, Ousa Koamora, apologies. I, I know I butchered that last name there. Um, was all over the field, number 28 for the Browns. Obviously, they still have Miles Garrett, who's a, a massive talent. Um, and we just had to play the Steelers, and now we're going to Cleveland. It's an egregious, absolute ridiculous scheduling thing that they did. I know some of it's random. They should have looked at that and said, we need to change this. Because for us to go Browns, Steelers away, Browns, and for them to go Ravens by Ravens is frankly egregious. But, you know. I'll save those thoughts for programming note, uh, the Dogs of War podcast, which is fan sided Cleveland Browns podcast. I'll be on there. I, th- I believe the episode will release either Tuesday night or Wednesday as you're listening to this. Um, yeah, they invited me on, which is hilarious. But w- I'm going to go on there and give a Ravens perspective. And guess what? It's probably going to be pessimistic uh, talking to them about this <laughs> game. So, yeah, simply, I don't, I don't think it helps. I think, Antonio, for the Ravens to win this game, and we'll talk about the other side of the ball here in a second, it's going to be 13-10 again. Um, and it's just, it's more about not, I think, finding the rhythm and, and finding a, a flow of the offense is basically shot for the rest of the year. It's just not shooting yourself in the foot, a.k.a. bad interceptions from Lamar Jackson. Yeah, I am cautiously optimistic it can be better because I do, like, it seems improbable that Lamar will throw four interceptions again. And, like... You those 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 interceptions in the the first half of that game the the three picks he threw in the second quarter against the Browns, you know it's so easy to say well if he didn't throw those the Ravens could have blown it wide open but if they didn't he didn't throw those they could have <laughs> blown the game wide open and it you know, like one of these weeks I have to hope or have to pray and think that they at least figure something out marginally out to maybe have 14 points at halftime, you know? And um, so am I worried? Yes. Chris Wormley, who had two and a half sacks uh, in his 39 games in three years with the Ravens, a guy like Chris Wormley had two and a half sacks oh uh, against the uh, the Ravens on Sunday. Um, so yeah, can Miles Garrett get eight and a half sacks? Cause he's better than TJ Watt possibly <laughs> so, i have very big concerns if they're not able to kind of you know shore up what's going on in their own house um but um <laughs> uh, i also still despite everything we've said this episode i still do believe lamar is talented i think maybe we even see him run more if if for some reason the passing they're so worried about it or something but um I I think they can, he could certainly improve on the performance he had last time against the Browns. I mean, I don't want to talk about it, but the Ravens defensively against the Browns offensively, who is going to cover anyone? That's my very intense question for you two. Is Jimmy Smith going to play an entire football game? Is Chris Westry going to be heavily involved in covering receivers in the NFL. Kevon Seymour, I don't really know who that is. I know he's been sort of up and down with this Ravens roster. He's going to get snaps, apparently, in this game. So in the Ravens' win against the Browns, they were able to stop Nick Chubb and stop 
the Browns' rushing attack, and that changed the entire game because an injured Baker Mayfield then had to beat them and was unable to. In this matchup, Mayfield has had two weeks to rest that injured shoulder. Should they even try to run the ball? Should they just go pass play every single down and try to attack this Ravens secondary? What can the Ravens do defensively to try to duplicate what they were able to do, try to replicate what they were able to do in their home game against the Browns? Well, this this falls on Wing Martindale, I think. Um, you know, John Harbaugh in his post-game press conference basically took a shot at Wink, saying uh, Wink going cover zero, and they asked him about going cover zero, which, for those of you that don't know, basically no safeties over the top. It's man-to-man. You're blitzing heavy. It's basically what you see with Wink all the time. Um, and John Harbaugh said, if you go to the well too much, they're going to burn you, and it burned them on the game-winning touchdown for the, for the Steelers. He's got to do something different in a way. I say different in terms of maybe the scheme, in terms of, helping these corners out a little bit. Maybe you play, uh, you know, this is fan talking, maybe play a little bit more zone, you know, not leaving these guys on an island. Maybe you're not sending the house all the time. But for me, the strategy is the same. Um, I, I don't care if he's injured or he's not injured. Make Baker Mayfield beat you, even with a depleted secondary. Stop Nick Chubb. Stop Kareem Hunt. Stop them controlling the game. The Ravens are number one in time of possession in the league. Um, and part of that falls on the defense, getting the ball back to the offense. And for me... Those guys are still my number one concern, even with the depleted secondary. It'll be a change of philosophy, or maybe not. No, it'll be a change of scheme, but not a change of philosophy for the defense. Stop the run, make Baker beat you, and on the back end, try and do something different because, again, you're without one of the best corners in the league. Um, You can't go man-on-man with Jarvis Landry, Austin Hooper, and the like. I'm so glad you mentioned that quote, Tim, because it was it kind of did pop out to me too. It's the most it seems like Harbaugh's. We're talking. We're talking about Roman, by the way. It, it might be a final wink year too if Bashadi gets trigger happy. Like it, it might be. That's just something to think about. Yeah, and it was certainly the most I think I've seen Harbaugh criticize one of his fellow coaches, like just in the media, in quite a while. And I completely agree with you because um, I, I, you, you can't, you can't cover zero all-out blitz just with these uh, these defensive backs. It just isn't possible. I don't care how bad you think Baker Mayfield is. He's an NFL quarterback who's had time to rest. He could find a guy when he's 30 yards open downfield like Deontay Johnson was uh, when Anthony Averett ran into whoever, I guess Marlon Humphrey or whoever the other corner was on that one play. Um, so there's that. I do hope, though, strangely, that the Browns – do try to get too excited and attack the Ravens through the air because I think like you, you know part of their undoing you you mentioned they stopped the run but they only gave Nick Chubb the ball eight times uh in his game in, in their last game I think if you're the Browns you want to give Nick Chubb the ball 20 times and think good things will happen so if they if they are if they do if Stefanski overthinks it and does try to go crazy through the air with Baker Mayfield who you know I'm sure he's not 100% healed in like, you know, a week and a half off or whatever. Uh, Baker makes mistakes. And so I, strangely, I think um, I'm kind of with you, Tim. I I sort of want the strategy to be the same uh, to make Baker beat you, even with the state the Ravens defensive backs are, because I do think Nick Chubb is so good. And if, if the Browns feed him the ball more then certainly they did in their first meeting, I think it's a, a problem. Um, 
for the Ravens. Just as we've seen, they just kind of wear down. I mean, even we've mentioned the depth on the defensive line isn't, you know, with Derek Wolf out for the year and stuff. Like, they're just low on depth everywhere, and it's a problem. And um, so I think you still want to have to try to make Baker beat you. Uh, I'm not super optimistic as much uh, with this game being in Cleveland uh, versus the home crowd firing your defense up if they'll be able to get that done. But, um, yeah, I think that's the strategy you have to have. Yeah, the Ravens have a similar personnel group that they had to stop Nick Chubb the first time against the run. So there's a there's a recipe in here somewhere where they're able to do it again. It'll be nice to have Brandon Williams and Calais Campbell on the field at the same time together. But against the pass, I just... I mean, Patrick <laughs> Queen is going to have to cover Donovan Peoples-Jones. Like, I, I don't understand how coverage is going to work at all in the third and sixth scenarios. Even if you are able to contain the Browns' rushing attack and get into third and mediums, I don't know over a 60-minute game how the Ravens are going to be able to cover anyone consistently and, and get the Browns off the field. We're going to turn now to our gambling section. Last week, I was 1-1. One and one. Obviously, I got the Ravens game wrong, as I have done consistently all season. Did hit the Cowboys game, and the Patriots-Bills will be tonight. So that game is still pending. So 1-1 one one last week as of now. And this week, I can't do it. I can't pick the Ravens. I, I don't know, as I just said, how they're going to get off the field, how they're going to cover. The line is Cleveland by two, and I think this ends up being a frustrating game for Ravens fans. I think the Browns end up covering this relatively easily Uh, so i'm taking cleveland at minus two i spoke a little bit of praise against the washington football team uh and yet i go against them this week in the gambling section because they have to play the dallas cowboys and the dallas cowboys are at least one cut above this washington team and the line is only four points so i'm all over dallas at minus four over the washington football team and then finally a three-team Six-point tees. Haven't done this in a few weeks. Kansas City is hosting Las Vegas. I'm moving that line down to minus three and a half. Thanks for coming, Vegas. The Chiefs are going to outscore them. They're going to win that game by a touchdown. So it's Kansas City, minus three and a half. Denver, off of their ugly-ish game against Kansas City, where seemingly everything went wrong in that game, especially in the second half. They get Detroit this week, and they're at home. So I'm moving that line down to minus two. Denver will win that game by a field goal or more at home. And then Green Bay down to minus six and a half against the Chicago Bears. I don't know if you know, but Aaron Rodgers owns the Bears. Uh, He owns that team, (laughs) and they will win by a touchdown or more. So it's a three-team, six-point tease. Kansas City minus three and a half, Denver minus two, and Green Bay minus six and a half. And those are my picks this week. Guys, Ravens pick, and what else do you like this week? So, I was not here last week, uh, obviously. I was away. Um, but I most certainly would have uh, picked the Pittsburgh Steelers to cover <laughs> as as home underdogs. Um, and this pains me a lot. I, I was trying to think of when I've picked against the Ravens as underdogs in a game where they weren't playing the Kansas City Chiefs. And I, I don't know that it's even happened in the history of this podcast. I'd have to go, have to go back through the archives. But I am picking the Browns this week at minus two. I, 
for pretty much the reasons you mentioned, Antonio. It's just the Ravens have so many issues right now. The Browns are home. They're coming off their bye. You know, they have playoff aspirations too. They need a win desperately. And I, 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 it wouldn't stun me if the Ravens win this game, certainly, because the Browns are always prone to, you know, Baker could have like four fumbles in this game and that could be the difference. But um, uh, just as, as a, a gambling, you know, exercise, I don't think you can you can take the Ravens in this spot. It's just, there's too many things working against them, I think. Um. Even if I do love that this game is not prime time, which absolutely shocks me, but I'm pleasantly surprised by that. Um, and then I'm going with a pair of just huge lines this week. I, I am not to be scared away. I'm taking, uh, you took them in the tees. I am just taking the Green Bay Packers outright. Minus 12 and a half. Packers coming off the bye, as you mentioned. Um, Aaron Rodgers does own the Bears. Um, the Packers, I think, desperately want to you know, send messages and get the, you know, the top seed in the NFC. If they can, they need to win. And I think they're going to go all out. Rogers has had a week to, to heal his foot up and, uh, you know, it's Lambo in December and Andy Dalton just had four interceptions in a game. So I, I'm just, I'm not, uh, optimistic. I think the bears are a team in disarray and I like the Packers in that spot. And then another team that hasn't been great lately, um, but that I am taking in the spot is the Titans, Tennessee Titans, minus nine and a half at home to the Jacksonville Jaguars. The Jaguars just got their doors blown off by the Rams, 37 to seven. And, uh, uh, the Titans are coming off a bye. So even though it's a big number and, you know, Ryan Tannehill has not been good since Derrick Henry went down. Um, I still, I still like the Titans in the spot. I think the Jags are kind of on the checkout. It's, you know, only a few games left of the lost season. And, uh, yeah, the Titans, the Titans, I think, you know, the Colts are still putting some pressure on them. I think they come out and probably try to send a message, try to, you know, just get a win coming off their bye. And I think Mike Vrabel is certainly a much better NFL coach than Urban Meyer is. So Titans minus nine and a half is my final pick. Yeah, so last week, Antonio and I uh, had the exact same pick. So I went one and one as well. Or no, excuse me. We didn't because he picked the Ravens. Um, sorry, Antonio. Three and a half. Come on, buddy. You knew that it was going to be under three. <laughs> I had Pittsburgh plus three and a half. That obviously, unfortunately, checked. Um, Dallas minus four and a half as well. Got that. And then I was on New England plus three away to the Bills. As you listen to this, you will know. As we record, we don't know. Although I will say, if you're following along, the weather in Buffalo is horrific tonight. Winds up to 40 miles an hour. Snow everywhere. That screams Patriots win because the Bills are soft, (laughs) even though they play in Buffalo. But we'll see what happens on Monday night, and obviously I could look like a fool for saying that. For me, you guys have mentioned it. We've talked about it. It's Cleveland minus two. Um, you know, if you both are picking Cleveland, there's no way I was going to be the one to, to turn the tide <laughs> and pick Baltimore here, especially after how we've been talking about it. Um, I'm with you on Tennessee, Jace, minus nine and a half. I know they're banged up. I know they basically have nobody left, but they're coming off the bye. They need the win, and it's more about Jacksonville for me. Jacksonville's dead. They are officially dead, so give me the nine and a half. And then for me, the other one that I have – um, is Atlanta plus three away to Carolina. Al- Atlanta's a bad football team, but Atlanta's a bad football team that beats bad football teams. And Carolina's just a bad football team who just fired Joe Brady because he couldn't make Sam Darnold nor Cam Newton work. I mean, that seems unfair. And Atlanta's getting the points. I think they're a better team than Carolina is, even with Carolina's great defense. So give me Atlanta plus three away to the Panthers. Two other ones just quickly to watch. Um, Jace mentioned it, Green Bay minus 12 and a half. It's Sunday night football. The Bears will be embarrassed in Lambeau in prime time. That's how this works. The only reason this is still prime time is Chicago is a massive market. 
Uh, Aaron Rodgers told us earlier this year, if you don't remember, that he owns the Bears. He owns Chicago. He will continue to do so. Minus 12 and a half. And then San Francisco, plus one away to Cincinnati. This is a classic. They got Seattle. It was always Seattle. The Oh, man. Is Seattle actually bad? Yes, but they got a big win against the division <laughs> rival. San Francisco needs a comeback win. I know since he just lost and since he could show up at home. But this is a Kyle Shanahan, I need a game. We're going to run it down their throat. And you're getting points with the 49ers against Cincinnati. It's a tough one, but give me San Fran plus one as well. Last thing to do is answer this random Raven. Jace, can you give us those clues one more time? Yes, indeed. So this player was drafted by the Cleveland Browns in the fifth round of the 1990 NFL draft. The Syracuse product spent six years with Cleveland before spending another six years with the Ravens upon the Browns' move to Baltimore. This player led the 2000 Ravens, the greatest defense of all time, with ten and a half sacks and finished his time in Baltimore with 26 and a half sacks, totals that land him eighth on the Ravens' all-time sacks list. This player, who wore number 90 throughout his career, compiled 73 sacks overall between the Browns, Ravens, and Dolphins, with whom he played his final two seasons after leaving the Ravens following the 2001 season. And then finally, final clue, this player was a member of the Ravens radio team from 2006 to 20, uh, from 2006 to 2009, joining Jerry Sandusky and former Colts star Stan White in the booth. Tim, I answered your random Raven last week, so why don't you take, uh, take this one? This is Rob Burnett. It is Rob Burnett. Uh, classic and... Uh, you know, a, a long ago Raven pulled into the Wayback Machine, guy who actually played for the Ravens in the 90s. But, uh, yeah, really good player for the first six years of the Ravens' existence. And uh, um, one of him beyond, other than Matt Stover, probably the longest tenured uh, member of the Ravens who also played for the Browns, I would guess. Uh, Rob Burnett, who I think then was, like, elected to Congress or something in Florida? He was, like, a politician for a couple of years oh, there? Oh, uh, was that him or Bulware? Well, yeah, one of them ran. Oh, no. Am I sure. getting my probably Peter Bulware. Yeah, because oh. Bulware went to Florida State, so it's probably Bulware. Oh, right, it is Bulware. Oh, my gosh. A different, a, a less random, uh, more significant Raven. <laughs> significant Raven, yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, well, Jace, that's a fantastic pick I had no idea that he had played so many years with the Browns before the Ravens. Uh, anything else, guys, before we close up here? Uh, this was good, I think. A good therapy session uh, to, to reframe uh, and rethink about this Ravens, at least for me, uh, this Ravens season. Um, I do not know what the rest of the season holds. I'm scared about that. <laughs> um, but I still think this team could make the playoffs. Uh Hopefully, hopefully, hopefully we're not talking about five straight losses here to end the year. That would, that would be so bad. I don't want that. This was bad. Um, the season is over <laughs> and shout out Gardner Minshew for getting a big win. I love Gardner Minshew. For J7, I am Antonio Barbara. Thank you for listening to us on Pod Like a Raven. We will see you when the sun rises next week.
Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.